Welcome to today's November Ask the Experts call. Now, without any further delay, I'd like to introduce today's host, David Molman with Align Technology. David, you have the floor. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar, G5 Update, the Deep Byte Solution with Dr. Bill Geary. You will earn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you'll receive important instruction on, on how to obtain your CE certificate at the conclusion of the presentation. Additionally, CE hours will automatically be added to your Invisalign doctor site account. Please allow two to four weeks for CE hours to appear on your account. Please note you're able to listen to today's program via the webcast, and throughout the webinar, you'll have the opportunity to ask text questions, which our presenter will answer at the conclusion of the presentation. I apologize in advance for being able to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today on the Education tab of your Invisalign doctor site, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous Ask the Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce our speaker today, Dr. Bill Geary. Dr. Geary completed his dental and orthodontic training at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in 1998 and maintains a private practice in Wilmington, North Carolina. He became an Invisalign provider in 2000 and an elite provider in 2005. As an international speaker for Invisalign, he has lectured at Invisalign summits, asked the expert webinars, authored white papers on Invisalign technique, and taught numerous Invisalign training programs. He's an Invisalign and diode laser instructor graduate orthodontic program at UNC has contributed Invisalign material to the fourth and fifth editions of William R. Prophet's Contemporary Orthodontics textbook. Dr. Geary is also the newest member of Align Technologies Clinical Advisory Board. So without further delay, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Geary. Dr. Geary, you now have the floor. Thank you, David. Great, and welcome to everyone who's listening. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the G5 update, uh, the deep bite solution. Uh, uh, I, I, as a disclaimer, the statements, views, and opinions expressed in this program and related course material to those of the speaker, uh, Line Technology may not endorse such statements, views, or opinions. Attendees are responsible for legal and regulatory compliance of any marketing and referral programs. Basically, caveat emptor. Okay, and David did a great job covering my Invisalign uh, background, uh, so I will blaze through this slide uh, quickly. Um, just uh, so you know what my affiliations are, I'm paid by, uh, on a per-lecture basis by Align Speakers Bureau. I have a consulting contract with the Clinical Advisory Board, and I am a SMILE Assist Consultant. Uh, but these uh, three little ones over here who I'm really working for, uh, that's how they normally look on the first day of school, but this is a, a more uh, regular appearance for them or if they're playing on their climbing wall. Okay, so today we want to cover an overview of the G5 innovations, uh, and I'm going to show some case examples, and then sprinkled throughout the case examples will be tips, techniques, and takeaways for, for how to get the most out of the G5 deep bike innovation. So I, I show this patient as a, a reminder to me um, with the, uh, the difficulty that I had correcting deep bikes prior to uh, around 2005, 2006. Uh, and so the patient that you see um, here on the left went through 39 aligners, and in the middle photo, uh, that was where he was at the end of those uh, 39 aligners, really didn't get much bite opening. And then I learned about uh, the virtual bite ramps from Dave Paquette around 2004, 2005, and that's when they started showing up in my clinics using virtual bite ramps. And so I employed them in this patient's 15 uh, revision uh, aligners, but I didn't understand 
early on how to use them correctly. So the patient was actually biting behind the virtual bite ramps, so we, we still don't see very much bite opening in its final photos. What is the rationale for using Invisalign with these bite patients? Well, it allows you, Invisalign allows you to start leveling the lower arch sooner than you, than you might be able to with braces. And I'm thinking of uh, sort of a severe deep bite that may have uh, extensive attrition of the lower incisors, uh, perhaps to the point where you don't have enough uh, enamel surface area, uh, or the enamel surface area is actually smaller than your bracket pad. Uh, so in a case like that, with a very deep bite, it would be very difficult to put lower brackets on the same day uh, until you've opened the, the bite up. Uh, and then the occlusal coverage that the aligners provide protects against tooth wear that we commonly see in these deep bite patients. There are some challenges using uh, a, any kind of occlusal coverage uh, appliance with uh, deep bite. That occlusal coverage causes a transient posterior intrusion. And what I mean by that is when you're wearing plastic between your back teeth, uh, it, it introduces a, an intrusive force on the molars, and the teeth intrude. When the patient takes their aligners out, their back teeth are not in contact, and this causes a, a temporary or transient posterior intrusion. The mandible then auto-rotates forward and up, and what you end up with is an uh, overbite increasing and, and overjet decreasing. And this can cause some problems if you're used to setting your ClinChex up to a very, you know, ideal overjet and overbite. Uh, and you get some transient posterior intrusion, you'll end up with actually less overjet than you thought and more overbite than you thought. And this can cause problems if you're trying to close upper spaces and now your mandible has rotated forward and up and you have heavy uh, anterior contacts. The spaces don't want to close because the lower teeth are, are you know, hitting uh, very heavily against the windows of the upper. And the real world doesn't match clean check when, when we see this transient posterior intrusion. What are some methods that we use to decrease overbite? Well, we can use relative posterior extrusion, and this would be like using a reverse curve uh, round wire with braces, uh, absolute anterior intrusion, like a, a burstone and intrusion arch, uh, or absolute posterior extrusion, you know, uh, creating a, um, you know, using a vertical elastics to extrude posterior teeth uh, would be one way to do that. How do you decide which is best? Well, we, we have to go back to our diagnosis. Uh, we have to evaluate facial aesthetics, determine if our upper and lower incisor display is adequate or excessive, and then look at the patient's face height, look at their curve of speed, and then optimize your strategy based on this information. Some of these items may be uh, at odds with each other. In other words, you, you may have uh, to make a decision or optimize your plan, um, you know, in order to preserve what you think are the best attributes in that patient. So let's you know, this is probably a, a good example of that. Um, how would you decide which is, you know, which is the best method to open this deep bite? You look at the patient's uh, smile arc, and the, the, the teeth are in, in, they're congruous with the lower lip, so we have a good smile arc here, yet we have excessive gingival display. You know, so the excessive gingival display would say, well, maybe we should intrude the upper incisors, but then you look at the smile arc and, the, and how the teeth are consonant with the lower lip, and you can't have both of those things at the same time. So we, we see we have a deep bite here, then we look and we see that we have an excessive curve of speed, super eruption of the lower teeth. When we look at the patient's profile, we see that she has a long lower third of the facial height, and we look at the set and we see that we have a high mandibular plane angle. So with a high mandibular plane angle, we probably don't want to do relative extrusion, which is going to lengthen the lower third of the face. This is probably a good candidate for lower incisor intrusion. Contrast that patient with this patient, 
to what on smile doesn't show a lot of upper incisor. Uh, but still, we have a deep bite. We look at the curve of C, and there's excessive curve of C with super eruption of the lower anterior teeth. But then we look at her profile, and we see a very short lower facial uh, height in the lower third. She has a very low mandibular plane angle. This would be a great patient to do uh, relative extrusion of the premolars, uh, but really no, no in, intrusion uh, of upper incisors on someone like this. I show this slide as an example of uh, the real-world effect uh, or real-world uh, example of transient posterior intrusion because there's nothing in our ClinCheck or Treat software that allows either ourselves or the technicians to um, to really appreciate this this transient uh, posterior intrusive effect. So if you look at the uh, slide on the left, the versus the patient's ClinCheck. You see that this is their stage zero, and they have a, a, an open bite, anterior open bite. But then you notice at stage 22, the, the bite is, is not supposed to be closed all the way. There's still about a millimeter of, of um, negative overbite here. But you look at the patient's clinical photos, and they're actually more closed. They have more overbite and less overjet than what the ClinCheck is predict predicting. And that is, you know, a great uh, way to demonstrate this transient posterior intrusion. This patient was very good at wearing her aligners. She, her molars intruded slightly. She takes the aligner out. The mandible auto rotates up and forward, and she has less overjet uh, and more over, most, more overbite than we would expect. And this is the problem in the patient like this because we're trying to extrude the upper right one, but now it's in heavy uh, occlusal contact with the lower teeth. Uh, another example of, of transient posterior intrusion and how it causes difficulty in opening uh, deep bites. This is a patient I started treatment in 2002. It was a molar distalization case, lots of aligners. And, you know, this is what the ClinCheck uh, predicted uh, I was supposed to see at the end of her 49 aligners, and this is what I actually got clinically. So we did a refinement, and in the refinement, you can see she's still not very open. Uh, so, you know, for my 59 aligners, I've gotten very little bite opening, two years of treatment, and not much to show for it. And, and, you know, she finished up around 2005, and that's when I, when I look back, um, I started using bite ramps on all of my deep bite patients and all of my normal overbite patients in 2005. And so I really started to see some, uh, some success in opening these deep bites. Still has a, you know, pretty deep curve of speed in the lower right photo. So how could we actually harness this, this posterior intrusive effect that the aligners cause? This is the only open bite patient I'm going to show this this, uh, this morning or this afternoon if you're on the East Coast like me. Uh, and this is an open bite patient that I'm, I'm treating with Invisalign, and I'm also using, you can see she's got some button cutouts at, at the uh, canine. So I'm using some up and down uh, elastics uh, to help with the canine extrusion. But it's a little hard to see in this photo, but I also have some occlusal attachments. They're uh, occlusal rectangular attachments, and they're placed on the upper and lower occlusal surfaces, uh, you can see one back here, from the patient's uh, first accustomed back to the second molar, upper and lower. So essentially what this provides is a two millimeter posterior bike lock to accentuate or to increase that, that transient posterior uh, intrusive effect. And so in this progress picture I took on her, this is at stage 14, so 28 weeks in the treatment. The patient is supposed to still have, you know, what looks like about three millimeters of the anterior open bite Yet you look at her clinically, and she has about a millimeter, maybe a millimeter and a half of positive overbite. And this is just another example of, of sort of harnessing that, that posterior intrusive effect that we get from aligners and actually 
you know, increasing it by uh, increasing the thickness of the plastic between the liners. And this is sort of what those posterior occlusal bite glands look like. And again, you're not bonding, you're, you're not putting composite uh, in these. This is just uh, when the patient has the aligners in, they're biting on the, the bubbles. It's kind of a, you know, the NTI appliances can cause patients to have posterior open bite if they wear them too, too long. This is kind of the reverse of an NTI. This actually introduces some posterior intrusive and can help close an open bite down. Uh, I'm also going to talk a little bit about the difference between the conventional or virtual virtual bite ramp, which is what was available prior to G5 and the deep bite innovation. Uh, these are what I used from 2005 until the G5 launch in February of this year. And these were lingually placed upper two to two. Uh, they were typically 1.25 to one and a half millimeters thick. They were horizontal rectangular attachments or horizontal crown root tippers. Uh, you could also make them uh, doubled uh, rectangular attachments. And I would typically place these at the level that I wanted my lower incisors to finish or one millimeter more incisal for you know, a slight bit of overcorrection. They were, they were never intended to be bonded to the teeth, so uh, no composite actually glued to the teeth like a traditional bike turbo. Um, these were strictly, you know, the patient had the aligner in, their uh, lower incisors would contact the bite ramp uh, to disclude the posterior teeth. If the trick that we would use, because there was sort of a, a thickness limitation uh, with the conventional or virtual bite ramps, is that if you had a patient that had much more than four, five millimeters overjet, it was, it was, they probably weren't going to contact these. So I would take them and flip them vertically uh, so that the patient would, um, their lower incisors would contact them earlier. If you think about the slope, the lingual uh, surface of the upper incisor, it, it slopes distally as the tooth goes up. And so uh, I'll picture that in just a second. But here's a patient with... Uh, uh, you know, bite ramps in place, and either virtual bite ramps or precision bite ramps, they displease the posterior teeth. And you can see this patient's wearing elastics, but they're biting on the bite ramps, back teeth are apart. Uh, precision bite ramps or vertical, or sorry, or virtual bite ramps. Clinch uh, check will see these as a collision. So you notice in this picture uh, that the lower incisors are actually uh, occupying part of the same space that the uh, bite ramps are. And again, ClinCheck doesn't have a way to disarticulate or to uh, auto-rotate the mandible open to show the, the bite opening effect of the, uh, of the bite ramps. Clinically, what we see is that it discludes the posterior teeth, and they can uh, prevent this transient posterior intrusion. So in the top photo, you see uh, that this is what ClinCheck sees, that the actual incisors collide with, and they occupy the same space at the same time. In the real world, as the patient closes on their arc of closure, the lower incisors hit the bite ramp and the posterior teeth are discluded. Uh, again, here's a, uh, the, the slide I was alluding to. If you, or if you were to orient these uh, virtual bite ramps or conventional bite ramps vertically instead of horizontally, you could see that the patient would contact them, the patient with a larger overjet. In the top photo, the patient's biting be completely behind the bite ramps orient them vertically, and they would pick them up a little earlier. So you could uh, use this trick for larger overjets. That's pretty much been solved with the precision bite ramps, uh, which, again, that was part of the G5 innovations for deep bite. Uh, I'm not going to talk about ClinCheck Pro today, uh, but that was the other uh, part of the G5 innovation. So let's, let's talk about the whole, the entire G5 deep bite innovation. So it consisted of a, a few components. There was the... Um, Pressure areas for intrusion are of both upper and lower incisors and lower canines. There were the optimized uh, 
deep bite attachments for premolars uh, that were designed to help level the curve of speed uh, and also to assist with anterior intrusion and premolar extrusion. And then the precision bite ramps, which we see a picture of here, uh, that were designed to disclude the posterior teeth. So the reason that the pressure areas were incorporated uh, into this G5 solution was when they virtually bench uh, tested uh, intrusion of, of incisors, what they found is that if you push you know, down on the incisal edge and the facial and lingual surfaces, what you actually get is, is you don't get a resultant force that, that travels through the long axis of the tooth. You get a force that also has a moment that introduces some lingual root torque. And by adding this pressure area, you, the moment was counteracted and you get a resultant force that's through the long axis of the tooth. Which is more desirable for intrusion. The um, the anchorage for this anterior intrusion uh, comes from these new optimized uh, deep bite attachments. Uh, so they do two things: they either uh, assist with, or they provide anchorage for the anterior intrusion, or they they can be activated to deliver extrusive forces on the premolars. And then also the precision bite ramps. Again, the problem being if you have uh, plastic between your back teeth, it in introduces a uh, posterior intrusive force that can cause the patient to uh, finish their treatment with a posterior open bite. Uh, but by discluding the posterior teeth with the, with the precision bite ramps, you eliminate that intrusive force, and when the patient you know, finishes their treatment, they, sh they shouldn't have a posterior open bite. Now, there are other things that can cause posterior open bite, uh, lack of incisor torque, uh, so that if you had heavy anterior occlusion, that can cause uh, posterior open bite. Um, inadequate IPR in the lower arch so that you didn't, if you didn't retract the lower incisors enough, uh, that's another reason I see when, when, uh, when uh, people ask me about what caused uh, this case to develop posterior uh, uh, open bite. The precision bite ramps are prominences on the lingual surface of the upper liners. Again, they're, they're not intended to be filled with composite. Um, these things are, uh, can be up to three millimeters thick. So if you were to actually bond composite to them, good luck getting the aligner out. Uh, so again, they're, they're, they're bubbles on the aligners. They're designed so that when the patient uh, closes, the lower incisors hit them. Um, these are automatically customized for each patient in each aligner stage. So uh, we'll show a print check of these in a second, and you'll notice that they, uh, the uh, precision bite ramps will change in medial distal width, in facial lingual dimension, and they, they can also change in their uh, incisor gingival location. Again, the depth of the bite ramp is up to three millimeters to accommodate these patients with larger overjets. And the bite ramp position is automatically adjusted to maintain anterior contact throughout all stages of movement. So you can't request a precision bite ramp be placed in this location or that location. The software drives where they are. If you have a specific uh, location that you want a bite ramp, you could still request a conventional or virtual bite ramp. Uh, and they're also... Um, the precision bite ramps are not available for, for upper canines, but you can request a conventional or uh, virtual bite ramp for canines. So here's a clean check that shows uh, placement of the precision bite ramps. You'll notice that the upper left tube bite ramp doesn't appear initially because of the uh, overlap of the tooth. And you'll notice that they change in size and location as we run through the clean check, and that is in order to maintain contact with the, uh, the lower incisors. How do we get these, uh, these G5 uh, features, or how do we request them? The online prescription form has some new sections that have been added to it uh, as of February. 
And so if you're wanting to uh, correct a deep bite, um, it asks you how would you like to handle this patient's overbite. Um, and so you, you can make your request there, and we'll go through some examples of that. So if you uh, want anterior intrusion only, uh, you know, in this case, uh, the, the radio buttons that have been selected are for intrude uh, anterior teeth only, and you can select upper or lower. Uh, what you'll uh, typically see there is that you'll get pressure areas that help with the intrusion, and, and those will appear on upper and lower incisors. Um, they, they can appear on lower canines as well. The upper canines were determined in the, the virtual testing that they don't, they're not required to assist with upper canines, so those are not, uh, not part of this. And then you'll see optimized uh, deep bite attachments on the first premolar for anchorage. Uh, note, you know, one thing is that if you have a case that you feel like uh, you, know, you have short clinical crowns or you don't feel that the, uh, the optimized uh, deep bite attachment has enough surface area to provide the retention, you can request a conventional beveled attachment, or if you have a rotation or a significant uh, root tip that needs to be addressed, you can pick whatever attachment you, you like to use for those, and that uh, will provide enough retention uh, to assist with the incisor and canine intrusion. Uh, when you request uh, to intrude anterior teeth and extrude premolars, and in this case we've selected uh, for lower only, you'll get pressure areas uh, on the uh, aligners and you'll get these uh, optimized deep bite attachments that are not just there for retention, but also uh, they're activated for premolar extrusion and, to, and also to assist uh, with the anchorage for anterior intrusion. When you, uh, and then you have the next section, you can request uh, bite ramps, and you can request them on uh, both central and lateral incisors, or you can request them on canines. Now, note that uh, you cannot have upper uh, incisor bite ramps at the same time as pressure areas. So uh, you have to make a, a choice there as to which you, uh, you, you would like to use. Uh, my personal preference is if I'm trying to open a bite, I feel like the, uh, the, the precision bite ramps are probably the most useful component in that. I've been using them now on, on literally hundreds of patients since 2005, and I've found them so useful for opening the bite. I would probably opt myself for have the bite ramp instead of the pressure area on the upper incisors. And again, uh, if you have a patient that has a, a, a large overjet where you're afraid that even with the three millimeter depth of the precision bite ramps that the, the patient is not going to be able to contact the precision bite ramp, or if you have a patient that is a restorative case and you're intruding upper and lower incisors to create an anterior open bite that then can be restored to uh, lengthen worn teeth, then you might choose to put your bite ramps, conventional bite ramps, on the uh, upper canines. Um, and in a, again, in a case like that, uh, you can still have pressure areas on the upper incisors. Here's a, a, a slide that shows uh, the conventional bite ramps on canines. Uh, even though they're con a conventional and not precision bite ramp, they do show up as blue, uh, but these are not dynamic. They're not going to change um, shape, and they're not going to change depth. Um, you can actually ask, ask the technician to change the, the incisor gingival location so that as the bite opens, you maintain contact, but they have to do that manually. It's not uh, software controlled. So uh, just to, to wrap up those the G5 features, so when you're intruding lower incisors, you're going to get pressure areas on lower aligners. You can request precision bite mass on the upper incisors. When you're intruding the upper incisors, you, you know, the default is you'll get pressure areas on the upper aligner. You can request conventional bite ramps on the canines, or you can forego the pressure areas on the upper, upper aligners and, and ask for the uh, precision bite ramps on the uppers uh, as, as well. 
What does uh, the bite ramps do, whether they're conventional or precision? Uh, well, I think one of the most important things they do is they eliminate our, that transient posterior intrusive effect that we see whenever someone wears plastic between their back teeth. They also disclude the posterior teeth, which can aid in crossbite correction, whether it's an anterior or posterior crossbite. And they add an intrusive force to the lower incisors. Uh, when the patient is biting on the, uh, the bite ramp, it's, you know, the lower incisors are definitely getting some force. And this is a theory of mine. I, this is you know, not, uh, you know, not nothing that Align Technology has put forth, but I believe that they may cause a slight clockwise rotation of the lower occlusal plane. It would be a small effect, you know, probably less than a, a degree or a half a degree. What are some differences between virtual bite ramps and precision bite ramps? The precision bite ramps location and uh, facial lingual dimension will change dynamically to accommodate decreasing overbite and overjet. And the precision bite ramps are able to accommodate larger overjet and still contact the lower incisors. Virtual bite ramps are, or conventional bite ramps are still available via written request in your special instructions. My thoughts on this, uh, the G5 uh, deep bite innovation, I think it's great that the precision bite ramps are dynamic and that they're up to three millimeters in, in depth. Uh, that's going to allow them to contact uh, the lower incisors and a greater number of patients. But I would tell you, don't feel that you have to use the optimized deep bite attachment on the premolars if you judge that more retention is needed. Uh, again, in a case of short clinical crown, you know, teenagers that have very short clinical crown, or if you need to address rotations or root tip. That uh, optimized uh, premolar deep bite attachment doesn't really have anything built into it that would help you with root tip uh, or rotation. So you need to keep that in mind. And I'll show some examples now. This is a patient I treated in 2009, and you can see the amount of super eruption of the lower incisors, severe defect, you know, over 100%. Uh, we also have uh, a lot of, of you know, the upper and lower incisors are lingually inclined. She's actually class one in the buccal segment, so it, it's not really an a, a, um, angle classification, but she looks a lot like a class one division two, if that existed, um, you know, because of the retroclination of the upper and lower incisors. And nothing significant to note on her panorex. Uh, in the CEP, you can see that she's, her lower incisors are right at the level of the lingual uh, part of the CEJ. So she's biting you know, basically um, apical to the end of her crown. Problems, severe deep bite, super rough lower three to three, uh, retroclined incisors moderate crowding, and then I missed one on this list. She's actually got a crossbite in the upper left seven back there. And so here's her, and again, she was treated at age 19 with the Invisalign Teen product that was in you know, 2009. Uh, the, I think it was the summer of 2008 is when the Teen product launched. So she was a, you know, an earlier uh, Teen product. One of the reasons I wanted to use the Teen product on her, even though she's kind of an older Teen, was they had launched the um, Power Ridge for the upper incisor now. Uh, in this early version of the product, it, the, the power ridge was only on the labial surface of the upper incisors. The lingual power ridge for the upper incisor and, and the lower power ridge didn't exist uh, when, when she was treated. Um, but I wanted to try to feature out on her since I needed to generate a lot of lingual root torque. Here we see her initial ClinCheck, which was 23 aligners. You can see I'm employing uh, virtual or conventional bite ramps in this patient. Trying to coordinate the arches for the cross bite correction. 
And we were able to generate significant uh, lingual root work uh, in this patient. If you look at the before and after, again, this was with a um, just the one power ridge on the labial uh, surface. Uh, there were no power ridges for the lower available with the product at that point, but we we kept our movement, uh, you know, slow enough. We had about a year's worth of, of time for that lingual root uh, torque to be expressed, and we had some attachments uh, distal to the teeth we were trying to uh, change the torque on, so that, that seemed to work nicely for, for this case. Here we have her initial, and then this is her refinement. So we got most of the lower arch level, but the, the central still need a little more intrusion. Um, and we have a little bit of rotation to take care of uh, in the lower here. So it shouldn't, you know, not, not an extensive uh, refinement. So again, this is her at the end of her initial 23 aligners. And you can see how much the bite has opened. And then we do a refinement that has 10 upper and lower active, uh, plus three over uh, correction aligners for the rotation. And I tend not to, uh, to deal with rotations with overcorrection aligners at the end of treatment. With ClinCheck Pro, it's so easy to build over-treatment into the initial uh, round of aligners where if I have a severely rotated incisor or a, a lingually displaced uh, incisor, I will over-treat that by, you know, three to five degrees of its rotation or, you know, maybe a quarter to a half a millimeter if it's a, a, a lingual displacement. And I'll build that into the patient's uh, initial round of aligners and rather than deal with it with over-treatment. And I find that, that that does help reduce the number of refinements that you need. Again, opening the rest of the bite up. You know, these are small, really relatively small movements in this refinement. And if you watch the lower twos, I think you'll see some of the over-correction. Yes, of a lower. And the final Pinorex, final Ceph. And here we have initial photos, end of refinement, and end of treatment. And she's had a little laser gingivoplasty and phrenectomy. You often see that in patients that have retroclined incisors, but when you bring the incisor position forward, um, they have redundant tissue, or they may have a pseudo pocket uh, just because they haven't had enough time for their passive eruption to complete. So we decided to take care of that for her and, and give her a little longer incisor exposure. And then here she is healed up at the first retainer check. So she's gained a couple of millimeters of incisor display. Morphs before and after of the occlusals. And here we have her initial and 23 aligners. 10 refinement plus three lower over correction. And then here we have final. Total treatment time for her was 18 months. And you can see the, you know, the, the bite opened significantly in that time period. A close up of the phrenectomy and gingivoplasty. And here she is healed up. And top we have initial, uh, end of initial, and end of refinement at the bottom. Some close-up smile photos, initial, end of initial, and end of refinement.
And of course, she starts with mammalons and we, um, we enameloplasty most incisal edges in mammalons before we do our, our tarot scans. And what I find is, it's, especially with ClinCheck Pro, it's much easier to set the teeth up at the proper vertical height if you have a nice, uh, uh, even incisal edge. Uh, so that's something we we didn't uh, we didn't always do that when we were taking PBS impressions, um, but we, we do it with almost 100% of the um, scan cases now, and actually start to do that more with our racist patients at initial bandings, just finding that it really gives you a better reference point. This is. Uh, a uh, 14 and a half year old patient who uh, was, was treated, uh, her treatment started in August of 2010. Really severe deep bite here, um, probably 120%. Uh, also, significant class two relationship, uh, which is worse on the left than the right. Um, you can't see any of her lower incisors at all. She's biting into the roof of her mouth, um, severe curve of speed, um, just also constricted arches, uh, significant rotations. Uh, one of the things I didn't appreciate when I was looking at her panorex, I was so focused on opening the bike, I didn't realize that she had some root divergence in the premolars here. And you'll you'll see that as I try to rotate that premolar in her initial round of aligners, that the uh, root divergence, you know, I, I didn't take that into account. It actually gets worse, and then we have to recover it in refinement. So you can see that she's actually biting apical to the CEJ uh, of the upper. Um, so really significant deep bite, tremendous curve of C. Class two relationship. So her initial round was 40 aligners. It took us just under 18 months to get through those. Um, her treatment, uh, she actually started wearing the aligners uh, in uh, April of 2011. Here's her initial contact. Now, this case was a or sorry, simultaneous distalization until the crowding was alleviated, and then you'll see a bite jump at the end. And the reason I will often stage uh, uh, patients like this is that if they've had some mesial drift of the buccal segment and they have some anterior crowding, then I'll distalize until the crowding is alle alleviated, and then I'll use a class two uh, bite jump simulation uh, to show the correction of the rest of the overjet. And the reason for that is if you just do pure distalization in a case like this, you'll end up with 70 aligners. And so this is just a way to, to sort of reduce the, the number of aligners the patient has. And this was prior to precision cuts for elastic hooks. So we created some faux attachments that uh, were not bonded. We cut some slits in those, and that's how the patient wore their elastics. Uh, again, precision cuts didn't exist. Um, now, I, I want to show a close-up of the lower arch, and I like, you know, basically what I – this is built into G5, but, you know, back in 2011, we had to be a little creative with this. The, um, the optimized attachments for premolar extrusion didn't exist, so – Basically, what I wanted to create in the ClinCheck was, you know, something analogous to what uh, a reverse curve uh, nickel titanium wire does. So you'll notice the curve speed here, and then I want you to watch, you know, how the premolars are extruding and the incisors are intruding to level that curve speed. And again, today I probably would I would put an attachment probably on the four. Um, and again, with the op the optimized uh, deep bite attachments, you would automatically um, get attachments on the 4 and 5 to assist with the extrusion of the premolars and also with the intrusion of the, the lower anterior teeth. Here we have the occlusal views. You can see there's uh, simultaneous distalization. All, uh, all five, you know, from canine to second molar are coming back until the crowding is alleviated, and you'll see a jump in the upper arch. And again, we're trying to coordinate the arch forms. Uh, the distalization is, is supported by elastics. The bite jump is supported by elastics, and you need really good 
uh, compliance uh, with Elastics uh, to, to tackle a class two is this significant. Um, we started this patient's Elastics from a liner number seven, so in her second visit, uh, and she wore a quarter four ounce, and then we switched to three sixteenths four ounce. Now this is her at the end of her initial round of a liner. So um, you know we've got some bite opening. The arch forms are starting to look pretty good. Um, she's still a little class two on the left, and she was more severe on that side to start with. So that that kind of makes sense. Um, you can see the amount of uh, that curve of speed that we've leveled or started to level in the lower. Um, here's where I really missed the the, the ball. Um, I didn't pay attention to the what was going on with the root tip, and I was uh, rotating that premolar and actually made it worse. And I paid attention to it. I had 18 months to converge those roots. Now I'm, I'm going to have a refinement that's only about seven months, and I'll and I will converge the roots over seven months, but they they won't get uh, as perfect as I would like them in that short period of time. So you can see now she's uh, much more open. And here's her refinement, which was 31 aligners, uh, and I put her on one-week wear, so we've got about just shy, you know, seven, seven months, three weeks uh, worth of refinement. You'll notice there's a bite check at the end. We're going to wear a class two elastic just on the left in this case, because, again, she's a little weak on the left, so you can see a little bite jump. We're coordinating the arch forms, uh, continuing to open the bite. Again, she wore uh, conventional or virtual bite ramps, which you can see in the photo. We've got a little bit of rotation to take care of in the twos. And then you'll see the bite jump. And there she is finished up. You can see midlines are on. We've got her class one on both sides. Uh, bite is really opened up. Um, this is, you know, a lengthy treatment. It was 27 months of active uh, aligner wear. Um, again, you know, if I were to treat this patient with braces, I would expect a similar treatment time. I, I'm probably not... I don't normally bond uh, lower brackets on somebody uh, that has a bite this severe from day one. Oftentimes, it may take me up to six months to get enough clearance uh, with the upper incisors moving out before I can get the lower braces on. And the fact that this patient's lower arch was so severe meant she probably still needed 24 months of aligning and leveling in the lower. Uh, you know, so maybe it might have even taken me more than 27 months uh, with braces. I certainly would tell a patient like this 24 to 30 months as a treatment time when I was examining them at a new patient exam. And you can see we did make the, the, the root convergence better here. Uh, but if I'd had 18 months to do that instead of seven, uh, we would have gotten those uh, you know, very parallel. And again, here's initial and end of refinement. And if you look at the, um, you know, in the initial set, how the lingual surfaces of the sevens are coincident, and you look at them in the final, and you can see that uh, there's a step between them. That, that sort of demonstrates the amount of class two correction. And then here we have our change in incisor angulation. You can definitely torque upper incisors with aligners. Uh, if you've got enough time uh, and you do it, you know, slowly enough and you have attachments adjacent or distal to the teeth you're trying to torque, um, you can do that very effectively even before the power ridges uh, existed, although this patient probably did have power ridges. And here's a close-up. You can see how the curve of speed has been leveled in the lower arch form is much broader. And I think you can really appreciate the change in arch form when you look at her smile photo. Um, her smile now really fills, fills her mouth. There's no uh, buccal quarter space. So let's move on to some adult uh, restorative type cases. So this is Robert. Uh, he was 55 years old when he came to see me. He was referred by a prosthodontist. 
Um, he had gone, Robert had gone to see the Prophet in hopes of, of restoring his teeth. Uh, but of course, the problem is he has a class three. He has, uh, you know, severe attrition of the uh, anterior teeth. Uh, he may have even had, uh, you know, he's missing some posterior teeth, so he's probably had some loss of vertical dimension as well. And just severe super eruption as the teeth have worn. Um, you know, the upper and lower incisors have super erupted to maintain contact. And here we have his steps. You can see, you know, his depth and edge to edge as you can be. Um, so we really need uh, to open the bite up significantly to allow the, the prosthodontist restore to clearance. So um, we're going to employ bite ramps on both the incisors and the canines in this patient. Again, you know, most of these patients, well, I think all of these patients I'm showing you today, are, were treated with conventional bite ramps. The precision bite ramps have only been around uh, for nine months now. So uh, I haven't uh, finished a lot of uh, severe defect patients in nine months, although I'll show one accelerant case at the end. Uh, of this uh, that we you know, we were, were able to uh, accelerate treatment. But this is 32 aligners. Uh, it took us 14 months and 22 days to finish his treatment. He had seven visits. Uh, we, uh, we asked him to wear class three elastics, which he wore with fair compliance for about eight months. Um, I, you're going to see some dramatic intrusion. Uh, you know, I don't over treat uh, or over, or I don't over treat many things uh, other than uh, rotations in out. Um, but on restorative intrusion cases, you do need to build in some over-treatment. You're not going to get all of what you see here. And the other thing I tend to over-treat is cross-bite uh, correction, so upper expansion, lower constriction, or cross-bite. But um, you can see the canine uh, bite ramps that are vertically oriented are actually contacting the premolars because they're in class three. As we've intruded the teeth, we've also opened spaces because um, as the patients uh, wear their teeth in these attrition cases, because the tooth is you know, triangular or trapezoidal in shape, it will get narrower um, as they wear, and then the teeth usually tend to come to drift together. Uh, so you need to open up spaces to allow uh, you know, proper proportions to be restored. So when you put this on the grid in ClinCheck, it shows we're predicting about seven millimeters of open bite. Clinically, we saw about five millimeters. So in this case, I got what is about, netted about 71% uh, of the intrusion uh, or the bite opening that I expected from ClinCheck. And, and I've seen about 70 to as much as 80%. Um, you know, the more intrusion, or like a case like this where you're trying for seven, you usually get a smaller percentage of it. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's typically what I've seen clinically. And so here he is uh, after he's worn his aligners. And at this point, what I was expecting was that he was going to go to the prosthodontist, he was going to get temporized, and then we were going to do a new scan and, and probably do a little bit more intrusion. Uh, we've actually got the midlines pretty well lined up. We've left him restored space. But the prosthodontist was actually happy with the clearance, and so the patient, uh, well, I'll show you first. This is our initial versus the ClinCheck, and you can see for sure in the uh, final versus the ClinCheck that we're not as open uh, clinically as we were in the ClinCheck. Um, here's the patient with initial, with their aligners in place, and with their aligners out. And then uh, the patient kind of disappeared on me and uh, came back. Again, I was expecting to be temporized uh, for a new scan, but he had his restorations done and thought he was done, so he was you know, basically went two months without a retainer. Uh, and you can see there's a, been a little bit of relapse. This tooth, uh, actually all the incisors have super erupted again. So it's really important uh, when you're communicating with your prosthodontist uh, that you let them know that as soon as this patient is putting temps, you need to get them in some type of retainer. And I would probably put a bite ramp in the retainer 
and I'll show you how to do that in a subsequent slide just to maintain your correction because you'll lose this uh, intrusion very quickly, um, especially if they're going without uh, any kind of occlusal coverage uh, retainer in place. So here's some close-ups, and again, he's having the stage is restoration, so he's done his interior teeth, upper and lower, and then he'll be restoring the posterior teeth. Um, you know, they probably have to spread this over a couple of years. And here you can see we've actually got the positive overjet. And there's a before and after again. That, that lack of retainer wear allowed that uh, tooth to super erupt. You can see that in the in the photo here, you know, the gingival levels are almost even, uh, although they shouldn't be. The central should be up higher. And then in this one, it's actually uh, gingival, or I'm sorry, incisal uh, to where it was. So he's got a little bit of loss of intrusion. Here's another adult attrition case. Um, this is Jim. Jim was 73 when he came in to see us. And you'll notice he's had severe wear. There is no facial enamel on any of these lower incisors. He's actually had a cast splint made for him to sort of hold these teeth, uh, you know, keep them from, uh, you know, really having significant mobility due to the traumatic occlusion uh, against the upper PFM crowns. You know, and they tried to use a metal, uh, partial metal lingual to reduce the amount of wear, but the bite is so deep that, you know, every time he closes, that porcelain is just shaving off another layer of enamel. Uh, he's also got an implant. And I, I love using uh, Invisalign for uh, patients that have implants or crown and bridge work, especially gold work. Um, because you don't have to worry about bonding a bracket to a gold or porcelain crown. And if you have an implant, you can isolate that in the software and, and say, I'm, I don't want to move this tooth. And it's a lot easier for me to do that with Invisalign than with braces. Uh, here we see his stuff, and it's kind of hard to see where those lower incisors are biting, but they're quite, uh, you know, close to the CEJ. Uh, here is Jim's ClinCheck. So we can see there's a significant amount of upper and lower intrusion that's happening. This is 24 liners, uh, and that's, that's all he needed. He didn't have a refinement. Uh, this is two-week wear. And again, we're using, you can see, uh, the bite ramps from the, uh, the buckle views. And so again, we're trying to intrude and torque the upper incisors, create and intrude the lower incisors, leave mesial and distal space for restorative clearance. From the mesial, we're using, a, again, a conventional bite ramp here because he was treated just, just finished uh, this case, you know, a month or so ago. So, um, you know, he was started uh, prior to uh, G5 coming out. And here are some uh, progress, or actually final photos, not the restorations yet, but treatment time was 11 months and 15 days, so just under a year. You can see in the, I'm sorry I don't have a good center occluded photo, uh, but I think you can appreciate there has been significant bite opening. We have plenty of restorative clearance for those uh, lower incisors to be restored. And then here he is with his final restorations in place. And I, just, I don't know how I would have treated this gentleman uh, if this had been at the very start of my career in, in 1998 when I uh, uh, opened my practice um, before Invisalign existed. Uh, I don't know, you know, how I would have, have treated this, this gentleman with conventional uh, brackets. Uh, you know, certainly contending with bonding to the upper porcelain crowns would have been difficult. And then I don't know how I would have gotten a bracket to stick to the dentin uh, on the lower. Um, he didn't have the mesial distal space to put a crown on it. So I, I think this is the type of case that you just absolutely couldn't treat prior to Invisalign.
or at least not easily. Somebody probably has a creative way they've done this in the past. Final step. And so let's let's talk about uh, some clincheck pearls uh, for intrusion. So again, be sure that you have enough retention to support the amount of intrusion that you've requested. Remember, you can always choose not to bond an attachment, but once you've uh, approved the clincheck, you can't add an attachment to it. So it, it, it behooves you to plan for um, adequate uh, retention to uh, support your intrusion. Um, I, I tend to use uh, the, the minimum number of attachments I can I can get away with to get the job done. Uh, and remember, in these attrition cases, that as the teeth are uh, are worn, they're going to super erupt. Uh, and as that occurs, you get a narrowing of the width of the tooth. So don't forget to open spaces between the incisors to allow the restorative dentist to create the appropriate proportions for the teeth. Again, ClinCheck Pro is great for doing this. You can um, add, you know, just the precise amount of space you want between the teeth, uh, wherever you want it. And that's much easier uh, to me than using open coil springs and closed coil springs with braces, uh, it's much more precise and it, you can get it done quicker. Uh, you can create restorative clearance by using uh, either you know, upper or lower canine and incisor intrusion and or premolar extrusion. The G5 precision bite ramps, the pressure areas, and the optimized premolar attachments can, can all uh, assist with these movements. How you decide to open the bite is up to you, not your technician. Uh, and it's part of diagnosing the case. Again, we had some slides on that. For example, I wouldn't want to intrude upper incisors on a patient that has inadequate or no upper incisor display at rest and on smile. So I would be very careful about protecting uh, their incisor display to keep the, their, their smile harmonious and to keep them, their smile useful. On cases where the incisors will not contact the bite ramps or you're worried that you're going to lose contact early, like these attrition cases I just showed, uh, once you start intruding the incisors, the bite ramps are not going to be in contact or they're not going to be useful. Place your bite ramps on the canines instead in cases like that. My take-home message is, uh, again, we let's circle back to transient posterior intrusion. This is a real phenomenon that is unique to clear aligner therapy. Uh, we don't see this in braces uh, unless we're bonding something to the occlusal surface of the teeth. Uh, but it's something that we definitely see with uh, with Invisalign and uh, anytime we're using clear appliances in between the posterior teeth. Sometimes you can actually harness it and use it in your open bite patients, but for the most part, in a normal overbite or deep bite patient, it's going to cause us problems. Um, so the, my best advice for preventing uh, transient posterior intrusion and preventing posterior open bite from developing is by employing the use of precision bite ramps or virtual bite ramps in all deep bite and all normal overbite patients. About the only place I don't use uh, bite ramps is in a, an open bite patient. And actually, that's not true because I use occlusal bite ramps uh, in, in a lot of open bite patients to help uh, deliver even more uh, of the posterior intrusive force. The dynamic nature of the precision bite ramps make, the deep, make deep bite correction in larger overjet, uh, overjet patients. More, uh, more possible than it was when we had the conventional bike ramps. So how would you add a virtual bike ramp or a conventional bike ramp during treatment? Let's say that you're, you're thinking about some cases you have at home right now where you, you notice you're developing posterior open bite or you notice that you have uh, a, a transient posterior intrusion and you have less, uh, less overjet and more overbite than what you're expecting and maybe you're having difficulty closing upper spaces because the lower teeth are hitting uh, heavily against the upper anteriors. You can purchase a uh, 
site plane forming plier from uh, Raintree Essex uh, makes these, and, or actually Keith Hilliard was the inventor of all the thermoforming pliers. Uh, but these work on, on Invisalign aligners just as, as well as they do on any other any type of C or A type plastic. Um, again, if, if you want to be very precise, you can have the patient uh, put their aligners in, bite down, and put some articulating paper in, and you, so you can see exactly where the lower incisors are contacting. And then use your bite plane plier to uh, uh, you heat it, and then you squeeze a bite plane into the aligner, uh, which is what you're seeing here. And there's actually a little set screw on the plier right here that controls the depth of the bike plane. And then once you've done one set, then just uh, either you or one of your assistants or your lab person uh, repeat that with all the, the subsequent aligners for that patient. And again, you're stretching the plastic in this case, so you're going to make the aligner uh, thinner in that area, which is going to mean a patient who brushes or is a good, you know, has a good clenching habit uh, may be able to crush these uh, these bite ramps that you've added to the aligner. So you may need to reinforce uh, these with composite. What I found is that the, the, the factory-made uh, precision bite ramps and the conventional bite ramps, because they're made with full-thickness plastic, I haven't really seen patients being able to um, crush or collapse those very easily. Uh, so that's not usually a concern. But when you've used the thermoforming plier to form them, uh, you thin the plastic out, um, again, you might need to reinforce that with either composite or blockout material. What if you need to add a virtual bite ramp to a retainer or in-house aligner? And again, I would probably recommend that in the case where um, you're trying to retain the patient in between, um, you know, either they've had temporaries and they're waiting for their final crowns. Uh, you need to have some type of retention in there so they don't lose the vertical that you've worked so hard to gain. Um, this is the OrthoArch anterior bite ramp mini mold. So it's a little silicon mold, you, and I'll show you the technique. You fill it with composite or blockout material and then light cure it. And then you place your newly formed bike ramp at the desired height on your model, tack it in place with blockout resin or composite and cure it. And then once you've vacuum formed the retainer or in-house aligner, the composite or blockout material can be removed or left in place. So here I am filling the, uh, the silicon uh, mold from the OrthoArch uh, mini mold with blockout material, light curing it. You just peel that out of the silicon mold and you can reuse the mold. Uh, and now we have this nice bite ramp that has been tacked onto the, the working model. And then in the, we've got both bite ramps here. We've vacuum formed uh, using our BioStar, uh, and we now have, we have a, a in-house retainer or aligner that has bite ramps in it. And you can see the patient uh, clinically when they have it in place, it excludes them. Um, there's a number of uses that I use these for. If I have a patient who's symptomatic uh, with their TMD when they come in for Invisalign treatment, I will often make them a, a trial aligner like this with uh, bite ramps and have them wear it for a couple of weeks to make sure that they can, number one, tolerate me um, propping them open. And in, often if it's a clenching patient, if they come back and say, you know, that really helped with my symptoms, and I know, you know using bite ramps with that patient is probably going to alleviate their symptoms during Invisalign treatment. Occasionally in, with one of these T&D patients, I'll forget to put the bite ramps in their final retainer, and they'll come back into their eight-week retainer check complaining that their muscle pain has returned uh, and we, I think about it, I look back, I'm like, oh, yeah, we had bite ramps all throughout their treatment, and it's very easy. We'll just take the thermoforming plier and, and add a bite ramp to their retainer, and usually, you know, symptoms go away at that point. So this is kind of a bonus case I'm going to add, and then we'll still have plenty of time for questions. So um, it's not the most dramatic uh, uh, bite opening. Some of the ones I showed you that, you know, were 120% overbite, those certainly um, win in the severity category. But what I thought was interesting about this case is, is I used accelerated orthodontics 
and bite opening. Uh, so there are a number of ways that you can accelerate orthodontics. You can use Accelnet, the you know the uh, vibrating bite wafer. You can use Propel, which uh, you know is basically perforating the bone. Piezo scission, uh, which creates uh, also interdental cuts. Uh, Wilkodonics, where you're you know uh, flapping, uh, letting full thickness flaps. Uh, you could actually use a combination of kind of a uh, a Wilco piezo scission technique or orthopulse, which is uh, approved in Canada and, and, and is in the process of getting uh, FDA approval in the United States. That uses low-level light therapy uh, to stimulate uh, cellular turnover. These are all you know techniques in 2014 that are available to accelerate orthodontics. Aligners, uh, if you're going to use these techniques within design, the aligners should be in place uh, when you're using any of these devices. And one week wear is what I typically do if I'm using normal uh, default rates of movement of 0.25 millimeters per aligner. Uh, so I would go from two week wear to one week wear. And again, it's important to monitor the aligner fit and adjust the, the wear time. You know, sometimes you need to move it uh, up or, or sometimes even back a day, uh, just depending on that particular patient. Remember, not every patient's biology, bone density, uh, bone turnover is the same. So there, there does need to be a little customization of this. And watch out for teeth that are not in contact, uh, especially with the excellent mouthpiece. So if you have a high canine or high lateral incisor, I mean, the thought process is that the vibration will transmit throughout the aligner. Um, but it may be a good idea to actually um, add something to the bike wafer that, that then makes it possible for the, the, um, the tooth in question to contact the vibrating mouthpiece. So this is a patient that I was setting up for uh, it was a sleep apnea patient. She uh, had a sleep study. Uh, that showed uh, significant uh, apnea episodes uh, with, you know, having a lot of the symptoms, uh, you know, uh, daytime uh, drowsiness, uh, you know, lack of mental alertness. And uh, this patient had had jaw surgery before. It had a fort and a chin, and I sure wish they had advanced her mandible uh, when they did her surgery because she still has this airway issue. And when you put her in a, a, a mandibular uh, protruding appliance, her apnea symptoms get better. Um, but she's also got some uh, TMJ problems. So it's not somebody that you want to do um, a ton of posturing the mandible forward. You know, you don't want to run a sleep apnea uh, or snoring, you know, type of appliance that postures the mandible forward for five or six years on a patient like this that's got, you know, the TMD uh, symptoms. So you can see she's got, you know, a fairly increased overbite, lots of the super eruption of the lower incisors, lots of crowd and relapse. I mean, she's already had four uh, premolars extracted as part of her original treatment, but we have a lot of lower crowding that's, that's come back. And you can see the, uh, the bone plates uh, for the Lafort and for the chin. And just, you know, we've got a pretty, um, you know, I, I look at her and I see skeletal class too. I mean, the, the lower jaw is definitely back. Um, not that you can judge it on a, on a two-dimensional assess, but, um, you know, there may be some narrowing of the airway. Certainly when she postures her mandible forward, she, her apnea symptoms go away. So I don't have a cone beam to show you on her. The problems were, you know, again, 29-year-old female, severe sleep apnea confirmed with a sleep study. Uh, she's got a, a symptomatic uh, temporomandibular joints. Um, previous history of four-by extraction, Lafort 1, and inferior border osteotomy to advance the chin in 1997. Moderate to severe lower crowding, mild to moderate upper crowding, basically collapsed arch forms. I mean, if she had a bonded retainer in the lower, um, this lower arch would look much better. The plan is to be using Invisalign with Accelident. Um, 
part of what she requested was to get this ready for surgery as quickly as possible um, so that um, she wouldn't continue to have performance problems at work, uh, expand the collapsed arch forms, uh, use some interproximal reduction in the lower uh, to avoid excessive flaring and also to speed up alignment. And uh, to employ a sleep apnea device that overlaid her aligners and protruded the mandible at night uh, and, and also to titrate that advancement and monitor the, the TMD symptoms. So we wanted kind of that sweet spot where she could tolerate it and didn't hurt her joints, but she also got some relief from that. And a two-jaw advancement uh, to open the airway. So she completed her uh, orthodontic uh, part, and then she got into a little uh, battle uh, with the insurance company. She's now been approved for surgery, and I think it's happening after Thanksgiving. Um, so but what's interesting about this to me is not the surgical advancement that, that I'll have photos of in a few uh, weeks, uh, but the the, time, the treatment time with Excelat. So you see the amount of overbite, um, and you see that we've, you know, we've got the significant, you know, pretty significant amounts of IPR in the lower, again, to try to speed up the alignment. And also, um, I didn't want her to be edge-to-edge -edge prior to the surgery. And the lower arch um, had some passive aligners in it. She's going to align quicker in the upper. And then we just want to kind of hold that arch form as the lower aligns. And one of the features I like about ClinCheck Pro is you can go into ClinCheck Pro and we um, turn the 3D controls on. And then even if the patient doesn't have heavy occlusal contacts, you can turn on show occlusal contacts and it, it makes the teeth translucent. And then you can actually look at your amount of overbite uh, and make sure that you know, if you're intruding uh, incisors in your setup, that you can actually see this overbite. So you can actually, you can see the amount of overbite she has in this initial clip check uh, is, you know, fairly significant. That's, you know, maybe six millimeters. And then here's it is in my final clip check, and it's more like two to three. And this, her treatment time was five months and 23 days between those initial photos and the photos I'm showing here. So... Um, you know, that's with one week wear and accelerant 20 minutes every day. So I think, you know, the amount of, you look in the lower, the amount of bite opening that we got uh, in that, you know, basically less than six months uh, is, to me, is fairly significant. She's now she's set up really nicely. I mean, I've got the upper and lower uh, posterior teeth are still socked in. So really, you know, the surgeon's job is just to advance the upper and lower jaws, open that airway up, and keep my occlusion exactly the way it is. And I'm, I'm anticipating we'll have some you know, uh, finishing and we'll do a scan and, and, and do some refinement as needed. But really, I'm hoping that they just, they can keep the, uh, when they're doing their intermaxillary fixation, if they can keep the teeth occluded like this, uh, then hopefully there's not going to be much to do. I mean, we don't have a lot of overjet for, you know, so we've got to, she's got to have upper and lower uh, advanced. And there's a before and after. You can see how the lower arch uh, has been leveled. There's a before and after. And I kind of want them to rotate her maxilla as well so that the upper incisor angulations are better. I want to thank Dr. Gear again for a great pre presentation and all of you for taking time out on your Friday to join us.
look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert webinar. Thanks very much. Thank you, David. Thanks to everyone who listened.